Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives! What, what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. All right. What's up? It's the nightcap on WGR. The first nightcap of the Tiger Woods is back era. Like the real Tiger Woods is back era. How many tweets did you see on Twitter over the past year, year and a half, two years, three years, whatever, whatever you want to go with here, of people saying, oh, Tiger is back. Now you can actually really say it and you can't dispute it. Masters champ, Woods is back. I want to talk a lot about that tonight. Uh, Brian Koziel is going to join me at 7.30 to talk more about the Masters and Tiger going forward because I'm already starting to think about what's next. That record's within shouting distance. He was already pretty close, and now uh, hopefully that, that'll uh, become a storyline moving forward. Um, Sabres are in the middle of a coach search that we don't really know anything about, which is interesting. So I released some odds on Twitter. If you want to take a look at that, you can follow me at SneakyJoeWGR on Twitter. And I'm looking at really a bunch of names right now that I can make an argument for every single one of them being completely unrealistic and not a good idea. I really can see a lot of these names that I posted, it's just not really possible. And um, Craig Button was on on the weekend, and really like him talking about Aline Vigneault and other candidates that the Sabres are looking at. I, I think this this pretty much just is the one thing I don't really want to be looking at is if you're the Sabres coach. I think they need somebody that w- with, with some experience. I went through what Jason went through. Uh, I went through in Calgary what Jason is going through now. You know, you, you start off, you try to give somebody an opportunity, first-time job, and as you look at your team, you start to realize, wait a sec, this team needs an experienced coach. Experienced coach. All right, so that's kind of where we're at still. We're talking about what the Sabres should be looking for. We don't really know what the Sabres are looking for. The only guy that we know that they were interested in, if you trust the the TSN guys and the big hockey reporters, is Todd McClellan. That's all we have to go on. So you got to try to pick apart as much as you can from that. It's tough to really gauge where the Sabres are looking for head coach when we don't really have a good idea of what they're looking at. So... Any idea that you've got on what you think the Sabres should be looking at? I really want to know who you think they are looking at, too. Like, What do you think of Jason Bottrell as a GM will play into this? Uh, what he did with his last coach, last coach hire and who he looked at in his last coaching search will play into this. But 803-0550, if you've got any ideas, really, you got any good guesses to where the Sabres are looking? Because we've had a lot on what they should do, right? We've had a lot of people call in and say they want Lindy Ruff. 
a lot of people. And it strikes me that the further and further we go in the search, and the more and more names that get knocked off the board. So McClellan out, if you trust Bob McKenzie and his reporting. He's not in the running anymore. All right. Elaine Vigneault, obviously, if he was ever in the running, he's out of the running because he's now the Flyers coach. Todd or Joel Joel Quenville. If he was ever in the running, he's out. He went right to Florida. There's not a lot of names left at the top of that retread list that we've talked a lot about. Like the experienced guys who have a track record of some sort of winning. There's not a lot of guys left at the top of that list. And like the Lindy Ruff crowd, forever big you guys are. It gets likelier and likelier to me every time one of these experienced guys gets knocked off the board that that's what will happen. I mean, it's, it's not completely unrealistic. To me, the idea of Lindy Ruff being the next Sabre coach is about as realistic as almost anybody else out there not named Chris Taylor. So in the odds I did, total guess, not even a big odds guy, so I'm not even sure if I... Like, the numbers I put at, next to the guy's names... Uh, they're probably very debatable. Chris Taylor had his favorite plus 150. About 100 to win 150. And Chris Taylor being the next head coach. He's got to be the front runner at this point just because you know he's already in the organization. Ralph Kruger, Lindy Ruff, I put it plus 500. Shot in the dark as those two guys is the number two, uh, the second likeliest candidates. And... Lindy, to me, is more just the fact that like if, when you look at the retread list, it's funny. We've reached a point where Lindy Ruff is kind of the top of that list. Even if you were another team looking around. If the Anaheim Ducks right now don't want to go with their AHL coach, Dale Seekins, which seems like a pretty logical thing that they're going to end up doing. Their GM, Bob Murray, was the interim for the, re- for the remainder of their previous season. It makes sense they might go with Dale Seekins. But just say, for instance, they don't do that. And they want to go with the experienced coach because they got a veteran core with Getzlob and Perry and Kessler and etc. How many guys out there are like a... Can you really debate are a much better candidate than what Lindy Ruff is? And I don't really want the Sabres to hire him. But I also don't want them to go with that experienced coaching line. To me, you're getting down to the nitty gritty where... You're down to Ruff, and you're down to Mike Yo, and you're down to Jacques Martin. And that might be something they look at. I mean, he was in Pittsburgh. I think he's still in Pittsburgh. So Bottrell's got a connection there. Uh, Guy Boucher, Randy Carlisle, Daryl Sutter. Like, are these guys going to be the next Sabre coach? It just feels a little far-fetched. But I don't know what else to think at this point. They're either going to do that. Or they're going to just go ahead and hire Chris Taylor. Or they're going to go with, you know, the young guy route. The inexperienced coach. Sheldon Keefe, the Marlies coach in the AHL for Toronto. Chris Knobloch, an assistant for the Flyers, former Erie Otters coach. Maybe they'll go the European route with Ricard Gronberg. I would, every minute they get backed into a corner on what they're going to do with coach, that becomes more likely maybe. I don't know. I want them to do something different. I want them to do something different or uh, innovative and to me, especially now that you're at a point where there doesn't seem to be like a clear front runner for the recycled guys, which I didn't want them to do in the first place, it makes even more sense to take a shot in the dark 
on a Swedish coach like Gronberg or take a shot in the dark on a college coach or a juniors coach or a guy like Knobloch who's made his money who's made his money in juniors and is now an assistant. There's also, and I almost don't even want to say this because this is just so outlandish, but like I said, anything's possible at this point. You watching the Tampa Bay Lightning? Is someone going to fall on the sword if they get swept? I wonder. I really do. And you know, it seems unlikely the players would do, would fall on the sword because that roster is almost perfectly built. At least on paper. They have Norris Trophy defenseman in Victor Hedman. They have other really good young defensemen like Mikhail Sergachev and Eric Sarnik. They have a vet, other veteran defensemen who are really good like Ryan McDonough and Anton Strahlman. Forward-wise, they run 10 deep. And they've got a first line that produced more points in the NHL than I think any line in over a decade between Point, Kucherov, and Stamkos. Just insane numbers. All three reached 90 points, and Kucherov blew away 90 points. He had 128. So are they really going to make big sweeping changes to the roster? Maybe they fire their coach? It's insane to think about it, because he's the longest tenured coach in the league, and he has got to be one of the most respected guys in the league. I'm sure there are over a dozen teams, if not 20 teams, in the league that would maybe move on from their current coach if they had the opportunity to hire John Cooper. Super respectable. And, man... I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility he's fired. I think it would be dumb if you're Tampa, but you'd be staring at a five, six-year stretch here where you had one of the best rosters in the league and you just can't seem to win the playoffs. Like Coaches get fired for less all the time. And, man, if he somehow, some way became available, do everything. Like that is a whale you need to go all in on. Not even Quenville. Quenville would have been... A great idea and an exciting idea, but I'm getting up for a John Cooper coach Sabres team and a lot more optimistic for that than I would have for Quenville, just me personally. And like I said, I don't think it's completely unrealistic to think he's fired if they get swept by the Blue Jackets. And the way they're playing, they're going to get swept by the Blue Jackets unless they really start to pick it up. And I do wonder if someone falls on the sword. Could you get him? You could maybe... How would you convince him? How would you convince him to come here? Because if he got fired, like I said, everyone, especially with a vacancy, is going to be looking at him. Anaheim would be looking at him. Roster-wise, I don't think you want to go there. Their players are aging. They got some bad contracts. Ryan Kessler's contract is just brutal at this point. And he, they rely on him to be one of their great players. So no, I wouldn't want to go there. Philly's off the board. Ottawa is a tr- just roster wise, it's a train wreck. And they're not even going to have the first pick or the fourth pick like they would have had if they didn't trade it for Duchesne. You're not going there. Who's the, who's the team I'm missing here? The Kings, who are likely going to hire McClellan. And even if they weren't, do I want to go there? Same thing as Anaheim. Sure, I might be in love with Southern California as a place to live. But if I'm looking to strictly hockey reasons, aging roster, aging superstars, and a team, by the way, that relies on a highly paid goaltender to make them good. An inconsistent highly paid goaltender in Jonathan Quick. So, you don't have a lot of competition out there, but you got to be the top of the list if anybody's looking for a coaching job. 
Now, like I said, Cooper might be the type of candidate where he can go find any job he wants and they'll get rid of their coach for him. Minnesota. If Minnesota got win, hey, Cooper will go there, they'd fire Bruce Boudreaux in a second. And I'm sure there are more examples of that. But that is like a dream of dream scenarios. It's probably super unlikely and that and you need him to get fired for it to even be any sort of possibility. But I like that's a name I want to keep an eye on because that is a whale of whales. Um and my odds I just did on Twitter, just kind of guessing, spitballing. I put him at plus two thousand. The same as Todd McClellan, who we know doesn't want to coach or isn't going to be coaching the Sabres. But, you know, things could change. Maybe things would circle back around. Someone changes their mind, whether it be the Sabres or McClellan. Like, that's how likely I think it is they actually do land John Cooper. So I'm talking about it here, but I don't really think it's going to happen. Because I put the odds of him being the Sabre coach the same as a guy that we have reports won't be the Sabre coach in McClellan. So that's how likely I think it is. But let me know what you think. 803-0550. Like, who is your best guess for who they're actually going to hire at this point? And like I said, we'll talk Masters in just over 10 minutes with Brian Cozio. Let's go out to Jonathan and Alden. Jonathan, you're on the cap. What's up? Hey, Joe. Um, I definitely like the Cooper idea if he gets fired, but I I don't know if that's very likely. My my, my guess is that Jason Botterill is going to see how far the Amherst go in the playoffs, and if they go deep, he'll go after Chris Taylor. To, um, unless, unless something else comes up like Gromberg, I'd like them to go to Gromberg, but my guess he's going to play it safe and go to Taylor. Yeah, I think that's the likely scenario at this point, especially depending on what they do in the AHL playoffs. I mean, it'd be hard to deny him a job if he takes them to, I don't know, the semifinals or even the finals. It's going to be tough. I mean, they're playing, the, they're playing the Marlies in round one who won the entire league last year. So it's going to be tough, but especially to me, if they do well in the Calder Cup playoffs, I think he's definitely going to be the coach. But at this point, I would just want to label him as the front runner, And I think I only want to label him as the front runner because we don't really have any other candidate they're tied to. I think that's the only reason. It's the easy way out. That's, that's, or it's the easy way to do things. That's why it would be um, the front runner. The guy, I think, if it's not going to be Chris Taylor... If I had to put money on who the Sabres' next coach will be, it is Ralph Kruger. Former Oilers coach. I talked about him last week a little bit. Uh, he's been working as Southampton football clubs in soccer. Yes, English English soccer, English soccer guy. Uh, he's been working there for five years. Before that, he was the Oilers coach. In between, he coached Team Europe in the World Cup. And you've got at least some dots there to connect which is more than you can really say for almost anybody else. You have a reported interest from Jason Bottrell to Ralph Kruger two years ago in his first coaching search. And the Sabres have a vacancy, and Ralph Kruger's available because he left his job at Southampton last week when he had over two months left on his current contract there. like He didn't have to leave now, but he did. And why did he do that? Because he's probably looking for a return to hockey. It's not, I don't think it's some coincidence that the NHL season ended, jobs opened up, and Ralph Kruger left the job he was doing. The only thing standing in the way of that, and the only reason that I think that you could label that as unlikely and a stretch, which you can do, like I said, for almost any candidate, is the fact that he sounds like he wants to be an executive. And I, I mean, you could make him 
president of hockey ops and head coach, but I don't, that seems on that seems weird, right? To have Bottrell almost like in between, and I don't think Bottrell would want to do that anyway. And Terry Pagula said at the NFL owner meetings that they're not really thinking about a president of hockey ops. So if Kruger has got his mindset on being an executive, this is probably not the place for it. But if he wants to return to hockey and he's going to do it as a coach like he used to do with the Oilers and as an assistant coach before that and in international hockey, then this this makes sense right here. You got a GM that wanted you, and you've got, to me, it shouldn't even be debatable that, at least hockey-wise, you've got the best job of the four that are remaining between the Sabres, Kings, Ducks, and Senators. Let's go to Charles in Buffalo. Charles, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hi, um, I'm a first-time caller. Yep, what you got? Um, I was thinking about the Buffalo Sabres head coach. Um, I don't think they would. Um, I don't think Lightning would hire John Co- or would fire John Cooper if they do lose in the first round. But I do think like the Penguins, if they like get swept or lose in five games, could possibly fire Mike Sullivan after the series. Yeah, to me, I mean, that's that's kind of in the same light as Cooper. I, I think both I wouldn't bet on being fired if they get swept, but I would definitely think it's possible. That's why I even brought up Cooper. So I, you can do that with Sullivan, too. And there's an added connection there. The Botchels from Pittsburgh. So, I don't know. It, 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 actually, it is a little different, though. Sullivan's won cups. Cups, multiple. He's two. Um, right? Two cups, yeah. From Mike Sullivan. And... Cooper doesn't have that. If Cooper had won a Stanley Cup in Tampa and they just had the season they did and got swept, I think they'd let bygones be be bygones and they'd bring him back next year, no questions asked. But he doesn't. And like I said, coaches have been fired for less. So to me, it's more likely that Cooper would be fired than Sullivan. And I like the idea of that better. Everything you read about him as a coach is, like, perfect. He's just not getting the results when he gets to the postseason. And is that worrisome? Yeah, but I think it's a bit of a pipe dream, but I don't think it's impossible, and you're not telling me on any other coach candidates that make me think, oh yeah, that's a lot more likely. Who's out there? Got a couple texts I want to get to. Adam Oates has been suggested a bunch. Another uh, Mike Mike Sullivan. Um one person says Lindy makes total sense. Top of the retread list, and he's got a Buffalo connection. Like, it's hard to argue with that at this point. I definitely bet against him being the Sabre coach, but just trying to sort out like here, like who are the guys that they're talking to? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go insane if I don't find out soon. I won't go insane. You know what? This is perfect. I like this because you leave everyone in the dark. Which is fine. Like no no problems there. I like it because then you really get to you get to go wild. You get to speculate. You get to you get to go to your pipe dreams, like Tampa firing John Cooper and having that be a possibility. Like Ricard Gronberg, the Swedish coach, having that be a possibility. At this point, you haven't really done an, there isn't enough out there to make you say there's zero percent chance of all this stuff happening. It could. It very well could happen. Lindy, though. Every time I come back to that, though, it's like, yeah, there's merit to it, but every time in the back of my head, I'm like, you're only doing that to make the fans happy. 
And you do want your team to do stuff like that once in a while, right? Like when they do giveaways, you want them to do more of that. Like the Lightning have gotten a lot of credit for this. Like they have a chip in their jerseys that allows uh, season ticket holders that have that chip in their jersey to kind of scan it at concession stands and get a discount, say with the store. Stuff like that. Like I want my team doing stuff like that for uh, for me. When... Jason Pominville has his thousandth game. Yeah, you look, the ceremony, the tribute video. Like you want that stuff. But the head coach to me is above that. You should not make a head coach hire just to make your fans happy. You should hire the guy you think is going to do the best job. And to me, that means you're not factoring in what your fans think of it. Eight zero three zero five fifty is the phone number. Thanks, guys, for the calls. Um, and one texter, Mike, just did mention that Cooper just signed an extension not even three weeks ago. But coaches get fired all the time when they sign extensions, when they're on big deals. So to me, to me, I also think when they signed that extension, the Lightning, I don't think thought they were going to lose in the first round. So I wouldn't, uh, I still wouldn't rule it out, even though he signed the extension. But it, it is, a, it is something you got to throw into the mix, I guess. Nate Oates. Different sport, I know. Different f- league. But he signed an extension. It was gone three days later. It happens. It's a business. All right, 803 is the phone number, like I said, if you want to get in on it. But we're going to switch to the Masters next. I want to talk Tiger, and I'm going to do it with Brian Koziel. He's going to join me here on the Nightcap coming up next here on WGR. Here it is. Woods has two feet to win the Masters. Everyone quiets down, Tiger. Back behind the ball, Woods puts it. And in! He has done it! Tiger is back! Tiger is back on top! Tiger Woods, the 2019 Masters Champion! There is Mike Tirico, who had the call here on WGR yesterday with the Westwood One coverage of the Masters. Tiger Woods, 15th major, first Masters in 14 years. And Brian Koziel joins me now on the Wester Hotline to discuss Brian I never thought I there was a part of me that thought we'd never be sitting here talking about another Tiger major and finally happened it did yeah I thought there would be I mean I was always hoping that we would get to see it again but it definitely there was definitely some times where it lended itself to think that we were not going to get it and mm-hmm. he obviously went down some bed, very bad paths both personally and physically and then then you watched his numerous comeback attempts when he just was not healthy and playing poorly and combination of both. And you're like, geez, we're never going to get to see the tiger that made golf like mm. as elect- as, you know, as electric as it's ever been in the history of the sport. And we definitely got that this week. And that was, it was pretty awesome. So, so Mike and Chris on the afternoon show today, spent a lot of time on like kind of why it is that he's so popular, especially even with fans my age and to me, it was like like that was the the guy who like he was golf when I was growing up watching like me watching the Masters with my dad like it was Tiger Woods dominating the field and it was most of the majors for that and like that's a part of it and like Bulldog who didn't used to like Tiger now for him it's like well he's human now he's good, like sore back and he's bald and he's divorced so like he's not necessarily like a robot like he used to seem like he was like what, what was the most like what what is it to you that, like gets you up to like watch tiger as as uh and root for him yeah well i mean i i think from the golf side of it to answer that part of the question first 
he, I mean, he just made it, I mean, not only, I guess, cool is an easy thing to say, he made it cool to golf, but the ex- the, the expectation of just, like, the level in which he was expecting to perform at was so impressive that you were in awe every week of, like, how is he going to do it this week? How is it going to play out again? And how he would play with such vigor and such focus and such intimidation, like, I... I I think as a golfer, like, that wasn't never really a part of it. I mean, yeah, there was always, quote, rivalries, but, I mean, the fact that he played, I, I loved how Chris said it today, like, Terminator. Like, he was there, the other guys were trying to go at him, but he just, it was like, he would just never, never flinch. And then he ended up flinching, essentially off the course, and then on the course, and then physically, it just, it all fell apart for him, and, uh, you know, just hoping to get that back. And I was, as a person that follows golf and loves golf, like, I was just thinking, like, you know, there's a whole set of people that I talk about sports with on a regular basis that I want them to kind of get that feeling again that I always got from watching Tiger. And um, I know you got to obviously kind of experience it in a different mm-hmm. way here this weekend. But, um, you know, and then the human side of it, definitely. I mean, how can you not root for a good comeback story? Even if you totally don't like Tiger as a person because of what he did personally, I totally respect that opinion. Um, But I think no matter what you have to say, that he made that like must be must see TV. He, when he plays and he's in contention, I mean, that is why we all love sports. Even if you're not a golf nut, the stage is set for drama and excitement and in any sport, like that's part of the reason we watch. And he definitely brings that when he's in contention. And obviously this weekend it was on high alert and that's what made it so good. So, so how much do you know, like about how, like, like the mechanics of his swing change, like basically I'm just trying to look for like here, like what, what is he doing differently in this comeback try than maybe he was in previous ones like is it his swing like what part of his game was like holding him back that you would say now he's was able to even get back on top well i mean not to get too technical with his swing but he was very very reliant on his lower back with his swing when he had made some swing changes during the mid 2000s to the point where he put a lot of pressure on that i mean the the torque that he would use to turn and kind of his downswing it would put a lot of a lot of pressure and strain on his lower back and after a while it just gave out and then he would rest and then he would come back and it would give out again and he would rest and he would come back uh, to the point where he had minor surgeries and then he ended up having that major disc surgery where he basically got a new back and that's why he was out for the you know the last few years what like 2016 2017 Mm -hmm. and part of 2018 before he ended up coming back um the swing from like the late 90s, early 2000s, when he was working with Butch Harmon, one of the famous golf coaches of all time, it was, to, to, to not overcomplicate it, it was more of a feel swing. The swing that he eventually changed a few times and got with different golf coaches, it became very mechanical to the point where it put a lot of stress on his body. And I think now coming back now, he's kind of gone back to a swing that you can say doesn't put as much stress on the body. You look at Phil Mickelson's swing. It's a very long, fluid swing, and I think that's why he's been able to play so long at such a high level. Phil Mickelson's 48, and, I mean, he's in contention in tournaments a lot. 
but he doesn't necessarily rely so much on putting pressure on certain body parts. I think just a long, fluent swing, if I can make that as easy as to describe. And I think yeah. Tiger's getting a little bit more of that back in his swing now. Um, and he knows there's certain things he can't do. He can't put as much pressure on his lower back on some of these shots. So um, he's still hitting it pretty far, too, which is good. So right. he's figured it out to a point where now he can not have to worry so much that, hey, this next swing could be my last because I'm going to break my back again. Right. Uh, Brian Koziel is on the Western Hotline. We're just recapping the 2019 Masters yesterday. Tiger back on top. Um, he's got to, this shouldn't even be probably a question. He's going to be the favorite for the PGA, right? Yeah, the odds makers actually last night moved him to eight to one okay. uh, for the for the PGA at, at Best Page Black. Yeah, he he went. He moved ahead of Dustin Johnson All for right. the favorite for I, that. And I I love by the way that we don't have to wait two more months for another major to see if he can just do it again here. Like I love I I know we've talked about this before, but I just love the fact that they moved the PGA up. Yep. Yeah. So that's the middle of May. Yep. And then you know, as just as that buzz dies down. Then you're getting close to the middle of June, Father's Day, and the U.S. Open. Yeah. The next two venues are so good. I mean, why everybody? part of the reason we love the Masters is because everybody knows the course, and of course Augusta has its history, but these next two majors have, like, just have, have such a good history about them. Best Page Black, of course, the public course, New York State, you and I can go play it mm-hmm. for a very reasonable price. He won when the U.S. Open was there in 2002, the first major championship to go to Best Page Black. Then, for the U.S. Open in June, it goes to Pebble Beach, and it's going to be in prime time on, on at night on the East Coast. And he, of course, had his biggest margin of victory there, uh, where he won by 15 shots in the U.S. Open back in 2000, so when he's just absolutely obliterated the field. So he's the only player on tour that will play in these events that has won at both Pebble Beach and Bethpage Black. There's been some, of course, that have won at Pebble, some have won at Bethpage, but no one other than Tiger has won at both. i got to figure, I mean, these are courses right in his wheelhouse that he's going to think about winning, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's the favorite going into both. He obviously already is for the PGA coming up here in a few weeks. Man, it really speaks to just how much better to me golf is when he's at the top, and that's not even really argumentative Like that you could even debate that. I mean... I'm sitting here, and i got a month until the PGA Championship and two months until the U.S. Open, and I cannot wait for either one. And generally, like especially with me, like I'm a pretty big golf fan, I think, but I don't really get like looking forward to like when the majors are and where they are until usually like a couple weeks before it happens. And I knew, I think, where each major was before the Masters even, just because Tiger had been playing at the top of his game, and you knew that he was a threat. Um, to win, like after winning the Tour Championship, being competitive in the Open last year, I want to steer my next question kind of towards that. Like future-wise, he's only three back of Jack now. He's four back from the record, and I wouldn't want to say I would predict him to get there at this point. But I don't know, man. It's hard for me to think he's not going to have a chance the way he's played the last two years if he keeps going that way. Yeah, the storyline that we all loved during the two thousands was. Can he chase down Jack's record? And then, of course, we had the other storyline of the fall and the injuries and the and his personal issues, and then would he come back? And then, obviously, last year when he won the Tour Championship, he got a win, he came back, and then, of course, gets the Masters win yesterday. So now it's like a chapter in the book. The mm-hmm. comeback chapter, we kind of right. can turn the page on, 
Now we can go back to, oh, yeah, remember that amazing storyline about Kenny Chase, Chase Jack's major record? We can kind of pick back up with that. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think, like, that's the next new kind of, you know, interesting saga that we'll get to follow with Tiger. Oh, man, if he were, yeah, especially after going away for however many years, not really being competitive, if he broke it now, it would just be, uh, it's hard to say it wouldn't be the most incredible thing I've ever seen in sports. Um, I, I do want to kind of move away from Tiger just a little bit because I wanted to ask you about Molinari yesterday. He goes in with the lead, and he's just, like, usually he's so solid. He makes so few mistakes. Like, he's not a guy that's really going to drive it that far, but... I don't know. I saw a couple of mistakes from him. He sh- him shooting a 74. If you told me Tiger was going to win, I probably would have thought he would have chased down Molinari, who would have had an okay day. But I don't want to say Tiger, you know, didn't earn it. But it's, Molinari kind of he's not falling apart, but not playing well yesterday. I think really helped him getting the win. Yeah, that, that swing at the 12th hole, the par three where Molinari goes in the water, and Finau did, and then the group in front of him where Kepka went in, and even before that, Poulter had gone in, and like guys that were kind of around the lead were all making bogey or double bogey at that hole from going into the water, and Tiger was just steady. He hit it on the, on the side where you're supposed to hit it, you know, by the bunker back there, and he's a dead pin high and two putts and gets out of there. That was, you're right, it was, it was a different win from Tiger in the sense that well, first of all, he came from behind for the first time ever in right. a major to win. Which is still kind of crazy, is, but yeah. Which is crazy, I know. But he won it by just kind of plodding along. I, I don't want to make it sound like it was boring golf, but like he he knew, he, he said afterwards, my strategy come in was to be patient. And I think, I think he drew a little break for the weather being what it was and the fact that they pushed the tee times up and then made it groups of three instead of group of two that pushed tiger into the final group. And it had just been a normal day. The final group would have been Molinari and Finau. And I mean, let's face it. I mean, Molinari, as you said, has been just as steady as a rock, but if he's not playing with tiger at some point, it feels just a little different. And I'm sure he would, if, if you could get him on, Honestly, on the record, he would say that, that it would feel a little different. And for Tiger, for him to come in with that, I'm going to be the patient, you know, patient game plan, the fact that he was able to see exactly every step of what the guys that were in contention with him along the way do, and that he was able to not, you know, well, do I have to play more aggressive? Do I have to change my game plan? No, I can. He said it even in his press conference afterwards. Once we got past 12, and I knew that I was ahead of Molinari there, he goes, all I had to do is that whenever they made birdie, I just had to make birdie. And so he, he knew he never had to force the issue. He knew going into those two par fives on 13 and 15, hey, if I just make birdie on both of them, they really could, probably aren't going to be able to catch me. And then, of course, that shot on 16, mm-hmm. the par three. where So good. I, I was saying this morning with Jeremy, I was like, if that actually would have went in, <laughs> that might have been – the Tiger Woods moment of all time, and there's so many of them. I mean, probably still at the Masters, that so, shot where he chips in on 16, the same yeah. hole, ironically, where the, the Nike, of course, swoosh just sits on the hole before it drops in for yep. the commercial. And all. That's, I mean, my, that's my top Tiger moment. Yeah, but it, he made a hole-in-one there and then gone up by three, essentially clinching the tournament. I mean, that would have been, I, I feel like, the number one moment of all time. It's still... Definitely a top ten Tiger moment of all time. How he's kind of hunched over watching the ball, and 
I was sitting here in my house watching it, and I sprung right out of my chair as soon as I saw it starting to come back, thinking, holy cow, this has a chance. And it, for a few seconds, I'm sure all of us watching were thinking, holy cow, this actually could go in. And uh, it just went by the hole. So, yeah, that was a pretty incredible moment. But to be there with Molinari, but to answer your original question, I was surprised. I did think Tiger was probably going to have to shoot like a 68 or a 67. He only had to shoot a 70 right. to do it. Uh, I, th- what Molinari did to me was shocking because when he was kind of going toe-to-toe with Tiger at the British last year, he handled the pressure, and he was Europe's hero in the Ryder Cup. Right. He was, a, he was right. 5-0. and he won every ma- in every pressure spot. He came up for Team Europe. He was amazing. So I did not expect the uh, the mistakes that we saw from him down the stretch. Um, do you do you know? Because I know the weather was a thing yesterday. If it hypothetically, if there would have been a playoff yesterday, would they have pushed that to today? Do you know? I don't. I know okay. that they said that the weather did turn for the worst. Like right. they actually did. They did go out and do a short green jacket ceremony yep, for a lot of the that. members. Um, I know it wasn't the big public spectacle that it normally was, but I know that it did turn worse. I don't know. Okay. The ma- uh, there, there would the have ma- been, I mean, it's, yeah. Tiger, for instance, would have dropped at 12 or landed at 12. I mean, it would have been a four-way playoff, so maybe it just would have went long enough that they would have had to right. do it to Monday no matter what. Right. Um, the the yeah. other thing that could have happened is, I mean, Kepka had a very makeable birdie putt on 18. Right. Right, now, that would have been more realistic. That could have been a two-way. Now, again... Tiger sees Kepka's in at 13. Does he maybe hit driver on 18? Now he's not so far back. Does he play it differently to knowing he has to make a par? Like, yep. You know, who knows? And who knows if, because Kepka was only one group ahead, would have Tiger even have known standing on the 18th tee that Kepka had made a birdie or not at that point? I well, don't even know. I, I heard t- the timeline of it. Tiger in his ESPN interview that he did, he did say he saw um, Kepka make par. So okay. he, that's when he knew he could play it safe for the rest of that hole, and he kind of laid up. So um, I, I would have think, he, yeah, I think he would have played it differently. Uh, let, before I get you out of here, Brian, I want to ask you one more thing on Rory, uh, Rory McIlroy. He was the favorite going in. It's been, like, he's the guy now with the major drought. Like, he hasn't won in five years. And, I, like, was he overhyped at the time? Do you think he was just like, oh, he was the next Tiger and all that, or like, like, what is going on with him? Do you think that like his legacy at, at this stage, where he's twenty nine, and he had four majors, I think, by age twenty four, and he's still sitting on four majors. Yeah, I think when he was winning those, that's when Tiger was obviously having a little struggle, and people were looking for, hey, who's the next Tiger? And Rory's game, when it's on, might be right now the best in the world. I still think it. When he's playing his best, I still don't think there's anybody better. Um, so I understand maybe why people were thinking, hey, that's, you know, that's the next Tiger, because he was doing it at such a young age. Uh, I, people have said that, you know, hey, he's, he maybe lost some of his drive, some of his focus once he got some fame and fortune. Um, people have said that his practice routine and all that has changed. Even they said his, his workout routine and the fact that he actually kind of got bulkier and then that led to some injuries. His swing is different. He's gone under equipment changes a few times. Mm-hmm. Part of that, not even his fault, because Nike stopped making equipment, so right. he's, he's gone, uh, he's you know changed that a couple of times. Um, I still think he's just as talented as anybody. I still think he's going to win more majors, but every year that he doesn't win at Augusta, that pressure of getting the Grand Slam, I'm sure, I'm sure he's thinking about it, but uh, I still think he's got plenty of good golf to go. But I was surprised that he never, ever was a factor at all. He kind of just was, what is he, kind of in the 30th, 
place kind of time the whole yeah, way through. Yeah, he was he was over par yeah. for a big chunk of time and in, in round two there. I don't know what he ended up at. Um, yeah, I don't have uh, five under. So yeah, he was never really in contention. Yeah, um, surprising. But I mean, there's so many big names, and and that's why I think Tiger's accomplishment. Tiger actually accomplished something that he actually was his own doing, in my opinion, yesterday. When, when we sat there and thought, I mean, how many times during yesterday did you think, holy cow, this Cantley kid can win it? Holy cow, <laughs> Shoffley, yeah. is, you know, can, he can do it. Molinari, Finau, all of a sudden. And like, here, here, comes Kep- Dust, here comes Dustin Kep- Johnson and Kepka. Johnson, yeah. yeah. And every time Ricky Fowler made a birdie, I'm like, come on, you're only like one <laughs> shot away from getting into that group. And Jason Day was there the whole time. And all these players were the ones that essentially were inspired by mm-hmm. Tiger Woods to, you know, take their golf game to the next level. And they all, in some sense, have admitted that. So it's like Tiger now, it's, Tiger has made it harder for him to win because of him. And it has nothing to do with his game. But yep. he's inspired all these 20-something players. They grew up wanting to be the next Tiger Woods. And now he's got to go out and beat, and beat all them. Hey, hey, man, I told you, Ricky Fowler will be two back of the major leader for eternity. Let, let, quick one, real quick, <laughs> before I get you out of here. Uh, who wins more majors for the rest of their career, Ricky Fowler or Rory McIlroy? If, if I made you pick one. I'll pick McIlroy. <sighs> now, here, here's the thing. Could Fowler, <laughs> could Fowler be Mickelson? Mickelson was the beloved player... His mm. whole life, he could just he just found ways in majors not to win, and then he finally broke through in like what is upper thir- mid thirties, upper thirties, and then all of a sudden he started winning them. Maybe that'll be how Fowler takes his path. Again, a beloved player found ways not yeah. to win. Thirty thirty two was Mickelson's first. Thirty two, right. and Fowler he's still in his upper twenties, isn't he? Yeah, I think he is twenty nine, twenty eight, twenty eight. No, he's thirty. He yeah. just turned thirty. Oh, oh he's thirty. All right. Yeah. I mean, Tiger won at 43 yesterday, so, I mean. That's true. It's not like Fowler doesn't have time, but it could kind of follow that path of Mickelson. Too bad, because, again, who was one of the players there to congratulate Tiger at the end? It was Fowler. He yep. seems like, I mean, how can you just not root for a guy like that? He's, he's such a great ambassador for the game. I mean, he is definitely, you know, my son is nine now and likes golf, and that is his by far number one player. I'm sure if you ask kids that golf, probably before you get votes for Tiger, you're going to get votes for Ricky. So um, he's definitely got, you know, he's got the fans definitely pulling for him. I, I hope he gets it because mm-hmm. he's, he's a guy that appreciates the game. He values the traditions. He obviously is well-liked by his peers. Uh, so, I, you know, now that the Tiger story is done, to me the only story maybe beyond Tiger winning again would be does Mickelson win a U.S. Open finally? But after that, like for me in, in these majors, like I, I'm I'm get, hoping Fowler gets a win because I think that's you know kind of the next big story in golf. Nice. All right, Brian. Thanks as always, man, for joining us uh, throughout the weekend and throughout the first round, first second round. Uh, I look forward to talking to you next month, man. Beth Page, can't wait. That's right. Gonna be good. Thanks, All right, Joe. See you, Brian. Brian Cozio there on the Wester Hotline. We'll take a timeout here, and we'll wrap a little bit more about the Masters when we come back, and I want to get into some hockey again in hour number two. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. There is some carryover. Those positions, whether you're new or you've been here a year or two years, those positions are earned in terms of starting and who starts, who doesn't start. 
with respect to Josh's development on the field and off the field is, is important. And this phase one allows us an opportunity to really go back and review and start from scratch. And it's, it's neat to see the, the room in there that everyone's very eager to learn and go back and, and build that strong foundation. There is Bills head coach Sean McDermott. He, Brandon Bean, Josh Allen, and Tremaine Edmonds all spoke today. I'm going to try to bring you as much of that as we can before we get out of here. So we'll play Brandon Bean uh, in hour number two when we come back uh, at the top of the hour here. And just a quick NHL score update for you. Hurricanes up one to nothing on the Caps. They are closing in the end of the first period. And the Bruins and Maple Leafs are scoreless at the end of the first period. If you haven't heard, Nazem Kadri was suspended for the rest of the series. So Toronto's Kadri after that, I mean, just vicious cross-check to the face on Jake DeBrusque from the Bruins. Uh, Kadri's out for the rest of the series. One thing that just happened in that Capitals-Hurricanes game, if you haven't seen it, maybe take a look for it if you want, but uh, Alex Ovechkin got in his first fight in nine years, and he fought Andrei Svechnikov, who was the second overall pick in this past draft, only 19 years old. 19-year-old, picked on, not even picked on, he went to blows with Ovi, and Ovechkin knocked, Ovechkin knocked him out. Cold. So, like I said, if you got the stomach for that, go look for it if you want. But uh, that did just happen in the uh, Capitals-Hurricanes game. NHL playoff scoring update brought to you by Fiegel and Carr, your border attorneys. We'll switch to football when we come back here on the Nightcap. Jody Biasi on WGR. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.